0: Thanks for the opportunity to come and share with you this morning. This feels kind of weird for me because it was just a little bit over 40 years ago that I sat about right there in high school chapel. Now, back then, it was boys on that side and girls on that side, but that was my experience. And it was just a little over 40 years ago that I was sitting, would have been sitting in a first year Bible college chapel myself. But that was 40 years ago. And 40 years ago, I would have never thought it possible that I would be a pastor in three hills talking to the college chapel on a a morning of chapel. There's just no way I would have thought of that. So that can be a lesson to you that who knows where you're going to end up in 40 years from now, just so that you kind of keep that in mind. I'm going to be talking to you today about uh, James. But before we get there, let's just think about some things first. For how many of you, the family of origin that you're from, you're the oldest sibling? How many of you? Okay? Some of you. And so how and for how many of you do you have an older brother? Okay? All right. In my family of origin, I'm the oldest. I'm the oldest brother and uh, I have a brother and then a sister, and the three of us were all born in two and a half years. So boom, 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 to the point of where when people would see us in our family, they would think that we were triplets because we just grew up together that way. And so we were actually very tight as, a, as the three siblings, as us t- growing up together together. But also in a family like that, um, especially my brother and I, we would get under each other's skin. Even though we we had the same bedroom, we shared a bedroom together, there were times in which we would just get under each other's skin. There was furniture that would get broken, all kinds of things like that. But at the same time, we were tight as well. Uh, my brother and I, we would work on vehicles together and, and we would cooperate. We, we sang and did a lot of uh, worship leading together and things like that. So for us, it was a kind of a mixed bag, I guess, I would say, of, of living in the same family and being close to each other. When I signed up for uh, the character of James and talking about him, uh, what came to my mind was who James was in relation to our Lord Jesus Christ. He was a younger brother. And so, um, as we think about that, um, there are a lot of things that we can relate to, and we'll get into that in a little bit. But we know that one of James's, uh, that the James that we know of, that he, in Galatians chapter 1, verse 19, um, it says... I saw one of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. He was recognized in the New Testament as Jesus' younger brother. And Paul was talking about that in Galatians chapter 1, about the credentials that he had and how he had connected with Peter, how he connected with James. And there was some kind of a credential that he was able to to say because he had known James. Now, Jesus' brother... James became the head of the church in Jerusalem sometime between Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 12. We don't have all the details. We don't know why that came about, but there was something transpired so that uh, he rose to the top of the leadership in the local church of Jerusalem. Now, if you remember how the church started, uh, it started in Jerusalem and spread out from there. So the church in Jerusalem was the home church. People knew that as the place of where the gospel really got started. Peter had been miraculously delivered from prison in Acts chapter 12. And up to that time, we don't hear a whole lot about James and and what his status was and his leadership in the church. But on that night when Peter was miraculously delivered from his imprisonment through an earthquake and, and angels and all that kind of stuff... Um, Peter came to a home in Jerusalem, and this is what he says in Acts chapter 12. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the brothers about this, he said, and then he left for another place. So here we find out that James, somewhere between the beginning of the book of Acts Acts and Acts chapter 12, James had some kind of influence in the life of the church in Jerusalem. And so Peter gives special note that James needed to be told about his release from prison. Uh, In Acts chapter 15, James becomes kind of a moderator in a dispute that was going on. There were people who were, uh, the Jewish people, had come to know faith first and now there were gentiles coming to faith and and so in this situation there was a disagreement between how the gentiles should be incorporated into the church and so there was a council in in acts chapter 15 and James became the moderator of this discussion and at the end of acts chapter 15 we have James giving kind of a a sum up of everything and his voice carries with it the authority and the um, words of wisdom that brought the people together, unity in diversity. And his voice spoke highly of the, to the people that were there. But you might be thinking, okay, so that makes sense. Jesus' younger brother becomes the leader of the church he starts. It's kind of like a, a natural um, succession plan. It happens all the time where the younger sibling or a a child of the person who started the movement gets to be the leader, and that makes sense. The only thing is, is that James and his siblings did not originally believe that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. We have that in Mark chapter 3. Then Jesus went home, and again, a crowd gathered. There were so many people that Jesus and the followers could not eat. When his family heard this... They went and got him because they thought he was out of his mind. That's what James would have thought of his his older brother, Jesus, earlier. And then also in John chapter 7, it says this. Later, Jesus was going about his business in Galilee. He didn't want to travel in Judea because the Jews were there and were looking for a chance to kill him. It was near the time of the tabernacles, a feast observed annually by the Jews. His brothers, this would have been Jesus' siblings, said... Why don't you leave here and go up to the feast so the disciples can get a good look at and the works that you do? No one who intends to be publicly known does everything behind the scenes. If you're serious about what you're doing, come out in the open and show the world. His brothers were pushing him like this because they didn't believe in him either. So why do you think that would have been? That James wouldn't have originally believed that Jesus was the Christ. Well, I think it has to do with how James had experienced Jesus at home. Having Jesus as his older brother. Now, I don't know about you, but what if your older sibling, your brother, would have come to you and said one day, Well, I'm the son of God. How would you have responded? Well, you would say, Well, I know better. He couldn't be because of the way he acts. But there's an aspect here of how James and his siblings would have experienced Jesus as their older brother. They would have seen Jesus growing up and experiencing learning things by trial and error. Things like learning how to read and write. Learning how to be an apprentice as a carpenter and hitting his thumb sometime, but not cussing. And he would have had some opportunity to see how perhaps Jesus would have responded to the local bullies who were picking on him because he was odd. And being very practical, they would have seen Jesus use the outhouse. They would have seen Jesus in his human form and recognized that he was, in some senses, just like the rest of us. And we would have known also, when you think about it, Mary, his mother, would have known that he was special because she had received an angelic revelation that he was to be the savior of the world, that he was the son of God. But whether it would have been intentional or unintentional, there would have been an aspect of where Mary could have given Jesus preferential treatment. You think about it, if you had known that You are babysitting the Savior of the world, and all of a sudden he falls out of a tree that he's been climbing and skins his knee. You'd wonder, you'd think, I don't want to be the one who, on my watch, um, short circuits God's intention on saving the world. And so, I'm sure there could have been some way in which Mary would have. Um, had preferential treatment. If there was any helicopter parent in the world, it could have very well have been Mary because of who she was parenting. But on the other hand, they would have lived in the shadow of the only perfect, absolutely perfect older brother and seen what it was like to live practically. In the world in which we live, in absolute holiness and righteousness. Now, that might have looked different. If you could imagine being James and his mother coming up to him one day saying, Now, James, why can't you be like your older brother? does everything that he's told to do. He does his chores when he's supposed to, never gives me any lip. He's so conscientious about what he does around the house. James, why can't you be like Jesus? But he would have had that observation of what it would have been like to be in the shadow of Jesus and living in practically in everyday life. And that's exactly the the color that there is in James's book that he writes. James wrote his book um, and he sent it out to all the different people who were in persecution at the time. But he gave, if you read the book, you see that there's a practical application of a life lived in holiness. Faith without works is dead, is the theme. Now, Martin Luther, the great reformer, had a problem with the book of James because he thought it should be thrown out of the canon of Scripture because of its uh, emphasis on living out and working out, living your faith out. But because Luther was reacting to the things that were going on in the church about people um, um, meriting their favor with God through uh, giving money to the church or through rituals, he was reacting to this, this working part. And so he thought James was in direct conflict with what Romans says is that the just shall live by faith. But that's what the whole canon of Scripture is so genius about is that, yes, the just shall live by faith, but faith without works is dead, and they go together, and they both help us to understand what it means to live in our world. But knowing who James is and where he came from, we'd expect that type of emphasis. James wasn't content with a propositional or theoretical truth about who Jesus is. And what, it, what living like him would look like. He knew what holiness of God looked like with skin on it. If you know anything about the biblical church and church history, you know that as the church started in the book of Acts, it didn't take long before there was persecution. And Stephen, who was the first martyr... Uh, was killed by the religious leaders in Jerusalem and because of that there was a persecution that broke out and in Jerusalem and so there's a lot of people who rather than stayed where there's persecution decided to leave Jerusalem and they scattered all over the Mediterranean area and it says in Acts chapter 11 now those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia Cyprus and Antioch telling the message only to the Jews so now you have Jewish people who are converts to this Christianity, the new belief in Jesus Christ as the son of God and his self, his, him being the savior of the world. And they're spread out all through the Roman empire. Now it wasn't easy being a Christian in the Roman empire. For one, the Romans were against their belief because it went against polytheism and, Rome, and emperor worship. But wherever they went, it was also against what the Jews believed. Because they didn't, weren't believing that Jesus had risen from the dead. And that he was the savior of the world. And so wherever they went, they were under persecution. Even though they were leaving persecution in Jerusalem, wherever they went, they were under persecution. So what happens? Their hometown pastor, James, the, the leader of the church in Jerusalem, writes a circular letter. To all the persecuted Jewish believers all over the Roman Empire. And that's what the book of James is about. Now it would be similar for you if you were away from home. You log on to YouTube live stream of your home church on a Sunday morning. And you get to hear your own pastor. Pastor that you grew up with. The guy that has been behind the pulpit as you grew up and you knew his voice. And you got to see people behind the pulpit that were familiar to you. And it just kind of warms your heart and encourages you. That's what James was doing to all these persecuted believers who were all over the Roman Empire at the time. So what kind of letter do you think he would write? What kind of way would he encourage the believers who were scattered all over the Roman Empire because of persecution? Well, you'd probably expect some sort of news about how things were going there and, and what the persecution, if it had the persecution that had led to their leaving, if it was still going on, and what the status of the church was. Probably some, you'd be expecting some words of encouragement, some words of hope that there was a brighter future ahead. Is that the kind of letter that James wrote? Not really. Before I get onto that though, I just want to, and be, I'm gonna kind of give an overview of the book. I, I want us to think about that for a moment. When we think about our world today and the way that we live our Christian faith in our world, we are in a world that's becoming more and more hostile. our belief and our faith. Our belief in there being one truth and that Jesus is the only way to know God is being interpreted more and more as the, the inciting conflict and of a basis for intolerance. And so I believe that the persecution of our faith is going to increase in the future, not some, some place far, far away in the land long time ago, but, and not in place like North Korea or China or someplace like that, but increasingly right here. And when we think about that, where do we go to get our encouragement or to get our instruction on how, to, how we can live in persecution? Where should we go? I believe we should go to the book of James because it was written for that purpose to help us and to give us instruction on how we as believers should behave in a society that's hostile to our faith. So the message of James is increasingly relevant to us. It's not something for someone else, but it's for us. So James doesn't write. A letter that's soothing and uplifting, kind of pastoral in its tone. It's not one that's very inspirational or heartwarming or reassuring. Rather, James writes more like a sports coach or like an army sergeant or motivational speaker. It's like he's saying, Get off your duff and start acting like a Christian. He says, there's no room for half-hearted believers in Christ. Get with the program and live what you confess. And that's the message that James is saying. The theme, I would say, of the book of James is living in a world hostile to things of God, but how do you do it? And he answers it. He says that there's a way to live that's distinctive. Don't be afraid to stand out in the way that you live. Um, Let your light shine. As Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, 16. Live your light and shine so that when people see your good works, they'll glorify your Father in heaven. That's the kind of life that James is talking about. Now, Do you get what this is talking about? James, in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Spirit, says that the best way to face the opposition and the persecution when we're living out our faith, the best way to, to, to live in that face of that opposition and that persecution is to live your faith practically in everyday life. Live it out. So that others can see it. That's the best way. Now there's a place for apologetics. There's a place for defending faith. And having an answer for for the hope that we have. There's a place for theology. For understanding and and describing the character of God in our world. But. James is saying. In light of persecution. In light of a world that's in opposition to us. We need to live. Live. Practically, and who better can talk to us about what that looks like than James, who had lived with Jesus the longest? I'm just going to give now kind of an overview. It's very practical. If you've never read um, uh, read through the book of James, it's it's so practical in its application. I'm just going to start with a few verses at the beginning to kind of give you the tone, and then I'm just going to highlight some of the the sections that it talks about. So James chapter 1, verse 1, James, a serpent of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. You see what I'm saying? He's not being... um, uh, trying to, to give them encouragement And, and trying to make, it, make things feel better he's, he's encouraging them to be strong In the midst of the difficulty that they're facing Because you know that the testing of your faith Develops perseverance And perseverance must finish its work So that you may be mature and complete Not lacking anything The next verse, verse 5 We take out of context very often it says if you lack wisdom ask God and he gives to, and he gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to him. If we lack wisdom we take that out of the context and we say well if I need wisdom I'll ask God for it. He's saying here if we want to know what it's like to live a life under persecution and how to persevere in a way that honors God ask God and he'll let you know. That's the context. And that's what this book is talking to us about. Um, I'm just going to highlight a few other things that are, that are mentioned here. Um, and to show you how practical it is and how, how it, it affects all different areas of life. For example, um, verse 22 of chapter 1 says, Don't be hearers, but doers as well. He says in verse 26, and in chapter three, almost the whole first half of the chapter, he's talking about the use of our of our tongue and our language and how we talk and how that makes a difference in how we come across in our faith and the the way that we are living out our faith. It matters how we talk, it matters the things we say, and it matters because people are listening to the way that we that we talk. Talking about there's met several times where he brings up social issues, things like um, caring for orphans and widows, about helping the poor, the people who don't have food and clothing, and how justice issues are important also in the way that we live our faith out. Not just to say, um, be well-fed and and God bless you, but to actually do something about it and, and live it out and make a difference. He talks about favoritism and prejudice, and how acting that way goes against the the kinds of priorities that Jesus Christ had, and how we need to live our lives in a way that honors him by showing not showing favoritism, but reaching out to people who are in lower Satan, because in in some senses they're advantaged over those who may may be popular or rich. He talks about um, friendship with the world and how it's not... It's not in our best interest as followers of Jesus to cozy up and be too much like the world in which we live. There should be a distinctive. There should be a way in which the way we act is different than those around us in such a way that it makes people ask questions and that we can be able to answer the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. The last chapter in verse, or in chapter 5 in the last part of it, he's talking about prayer and how prayer is so key in our life, even though it might be something that we do in private or it might be something we do in public, prayer is key in the way that we show the world around us that we are followers of Jesus and it makes a difference and our faith makes a difference. That we're living in dependence on him and not just going about our life like anybody else, but that we have that faith that makes so much difference. As we think about the book of James and about what James Stands for, I would encourage you to read through the book and to be able to see how practical it is and how it applies to every aspect of our lives and how it is something that we need to um, apply in our own lives. Let's just bow for a word of prayer as we close. Lord, I'm thankful for the life of James and how practical it is. And when we think about where he came from, we recognize that um, he had an insight into what it means to live out our faith like no one else probably does. And so as we take the opportunity to read it, and digest it, and actually see it as a textbook on how to live in a world that's opposed to the gospel, I pray that we would take it to heart. That it would be something that we would apply that we would see ways in which we can live out our faith in a way that gives better um, a better reflection of the Lord Jesus Christ in the world in which we live. So thank you for the practicality of James. And thank you for um, having it recorded for us and for us to be able to have a copy of it and to be able to read it for ourselves. So thank you for this. And we just pray your blessing on us as we go. In Jesus' name, amen.